welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I am going to have so much fun sharing with you this morning. I want to speak about something that I've just simply entitled Enthusiasm. Everyone say Enthusiasm. For those of you who don't know me that well, you wouldn't know this about me, that I love soccer. I do. I've played it all my life and uh, played at a fairly high standard and uh, gave it all up to serve Jesus. Gave up my career for Man- with Manchester United to serve <laughs> Jesus. I was well on the way. The scouts were looking at me. They wanted to know who I was. I gave it all up for Jesus. You need to know that. Anyway, I do love football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. And I particularly love a team called Manchester United. Any Manchester United fans in the house? Any Chelsea supporters? Fantastic. Please escort them out of the building. Don't want none of that, that demonic kind of presence. It's just like... It's just not good for the meeting. It's not good for what we want to talk about today. But the thing I love, love, love about uh, sport, and in particular the English Premier League, is the supporters and just how passionate they are. Following Manchester United in particular is a really passionate affair. When you look at the Crows, or you might go to the cricket today, this afternoon, and when you see people getting passionate about what they love, and more importantly, who they love, it inspires me. If you go to a soccer match, you will see enthusiasm, you will see passion, you will see love, you will see joy. If you go to the Crows match, you will see the same thing. If you go to the cricket today, you will see the same thing. You'll see much enthusiasm. But when it comes to the church, however, historically speaking, the church is anything but passionate. If you asked any of your friends to rate the top three enthusiastic places to go, I doubt church would rate highly. I want you to think of the most enthusiastic bunch of people you can. Would church come to mind? For most people, not. And it never ceases to amaze me that we have such an amazing gospel message and yet many Christians live life like it's anything but good news. We have this amazing gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. And yet many Christians don't live like it's good news. If you look at their face, they have a face that's better suited to being an undertaker. It looks like they've been baptised in lemon juice. And it looks like the back end of a cat. Some of you are wondering what that looks like. I suggest that you grab a cat sometime today, lift up its tail, and you'll know what I'm talking about. People walking around with pursed lips, miserable. And we're meant to have this amazing gospel message on the inside of us. Hey, I know, I know, I know, I know that there are seasons of mourning. I know there are seasons of suffering. I know there are seasons that aren't altogether that great. But the Bible does say that joy comes in the morning. So we might have a season of mourning, but it says that joy comes. How long has your season of mourning been? For some people it's been years. Some it's been decades. Joy comes in the morning, the Bible says. 
John Wesley calls this redemption lift. John Wesley was a great reformer back in the 1700s. And he talked about a little thing called redemption lift, that when somebody gave their life to Christ, it would have a positive impact when they went back to their family. It would have a positive impact when they went back to their business. It would have a positive impact when it went back to where it is that they worked or the school that they attended or the university that they went to. It had a positive redemptive lift. Wherever we go, there's meant to be a positive redemptive lift in our lives. I think back to the bloke, a men's event that we put on just last week. And I think about the testimonies of these unchurched men, these men that have never been to church. And they come into a building and they're just blown away by the facility. They're blown away by the attitude They're blown away by the excellence. In actual fact, one of the men that um, was responsible for, for putting on the kickboxing event said, this is the best event we've ever attended. Your crew are unbelievable. He called us a crew. In other words, what he was saying is there's something different about you guys. And that's what is meant to happen. Wherever we go, there's meant to be a fragrance of life. There's meant to be a difference in our world. We're meant to be noticed. The Bible says that we should be blessed. The word blessed means to be envied. Most Christians aren't envied. Most Christians are just not liked. And we have an opportunity to turn that around and change that if we understand what it is that I'm sharing this morning. When's the last time someone came up to you and said, I don't know what you're smoking, drinking, chewing or injecting, but I want what you've got? Seriously, when's the last time someone commented on the difference in your life? Because it should be happening all the time, I believe. Amen. I've got an audiovisual uh, piece of footage that I want to show you. And uh, it's of a man by the name of Stu- Steve Balmer. And uh, just take a look at this. This is all I can say. Just take a look at this. <laughs> you don't know what he's talking about? Computers. He's talking about those, that piece of technology that when you log on, it decides to log you off. <laughs> He's talking about that piece of technology that at the most crucial moment of your working life, it decides to get a virus. He's talking about that piece of technology that you go and buy and the moment you get it home and open it from the box, it's already old. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about software. He's talking about computers. He's talking about technology. And we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And I can't even get a clap this morning. He's old, bold, and overweight. And he's more enthusiastic about technology than us young, fit, good-looking, healthy people called Christians get about Jesus. I mean, come on. 
response to his company could be summed up in one word. Enthusiasm. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word enthusiasm means to rave, to go into raptures, and to go overboard. See, I don't know if you are really a Christian. If you don't know how to rave, go into raptures, and go just a little bit overboard. And this morning, I want to prove that theologically before some of the phlegmatics get up and just leave and say, it's all right for you, I'm just this way inclined. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1, reading from verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, The faithful in Christ Jesus. Now what you need to know about the Bible is that it was written by certain authors. The author of this particular letter was Paul. And he was writing to a particular church in a particular city some 2,000 years ago. The city of the church that he was writing to was Ephesus. Now Ephesus was a city nestled in a valley And it had a population of about 300,000 people. And in the centre of Ephesus was a temple built to the goddess Diana. She was the goddess of the underworld. And she was linked with power, magic and astrology. And every morning, the people of Ephesus would put on their lucky charms. They would get together as a family and say incantations in order to ward off and scare off evil spirits. The high priests who oversaw the temple were powerful and demonically inspired. To the, people, to the point where people would walk past the temple, they wouldn't look at the priests for fear of being placed a demonic curse upon them. And to make things worse, at the age of 11, by law it was sanctioned that young girls had to go and serve in the temple as prostitutes for three years. You've got to catch this this morning. These young girls were sexually abused by both men and women. And they would carry newborn babies to the altar where the high priest, before their very eyes, would run a knife through the heart of the newborn child and offer that now dead body as a sacrifice to the goddess Diana. Ephesus was hell on earth. Don't think for one moment that it was okay for Paul when he wrote those things because he doesn't understand what it is that we are going through today. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians living in this city when all that was going on. Now I ask you, who's had a day like that? It put things in perspective, doesn't it? And Paul writes these words from a prison cell to encourage the believers in Ephesus. 
Paul ever thinking of others, not caught up in the fact that he's imprisoned, but he's forever thinking of others. And he writes this letter to the Ephesian believers, the saints in Ephesus, the Christians that are living in hell on earth. And he writes them to remind them not to live a pseudo-Christianity. Not to live half-baked Christianity. And he says this in his opening statement to the saints in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ. And he highlights two very important things. In Paul's opening sentence, he says, Christians, you have two homes. You have the one that places you in Ephesus. You are the saints in Ephesus. But as Christians, you have a new home and it places you in Christ. To the saints in Ephesus and to the believers in Christ. And he's reminding them that they have two homes. That they don't just live in Ephesus, but they have a new home and it's called in Christ. And as a result of this new home, there's a new way of living. See, one thing I know about two homes is that that means there are two cultures. For every man who got married to a young woman, they, they know this clash of culture. This certainly happened for me. I grew up in a very male-dominated home. There was my mum, my dad and three brothers. It was very male. And because it was very male, the toilet seat lived in a certain position. Up. Half the time I didn't even know I could go down, just was up. But when I got married and it was just me and Kath, there was this clash of culture. Because when I went to the toilet, I could no longer leave the toilet seat up because it was a new home. And my new home required a new way of living. My old way of living, my old habits had to die if there was to be peace in my new home. And I realised that I recognised as a young man, it's much better to just adopt a new way of living for the sake of peace in the home than just to keep fighting and placing my old way of living over this new environment that I was living in. And this is the clash of cultures that every Christian faces. We are here in Adelaide with all that goes on in this city. I mean, just this week, someone was shot in the face just in this very suburb that our church finds itself in. In the city of, or in the uh, suburb of Paraka, some guy gets shot in the face and he's dead. But Jesus wants us to live a certain way because we don't just live in Adelaide. We live in Christ. And as a result, there's a new way of living. And we don't have to live the way everyone else lives. That's the heart behind this letter to the Ephesians. A new way of living. And he goes on to encourage them with this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us 
who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him, who, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I imagine as the local pastor of the church in Ephesus read that, there would have been murmurings amongst the people and someone might have popped up and said, a preacher, all my life, I've been taught and we've been taught that the most powerful force on the planet is the goddess Diana. That's what we grew up with. That's what we've been taught. That was what was rammed down our throat from a very early age. Mr. Preacher, are you telling me? Are you saying that there is one that is more powerful than the goddess Diana? Are you saying that there is one that lives higher, further, wider, wider and above this teaching that we've grown up with? And the preacher looks at his congregation and says, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus is more powerful than the goddess Diana. And then Paul further encourages. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. When the local pastor of the local church in Ephesus finished reading these words, I imagine someone else saying, Preacher, are you saying that not only is Jesus more powerful than Diana, but did I hear correct? Are you telling me that because of my new position in Christ, are you telling me, did I hear correctly, that even I am more powerful than the goddess Diana? And the preacher with a smile on his face looks at that person and says, yep. That's exactly what I'm saying. I imagine at that moment, there could have been just a little, little, just a little bit of excitement in the place. And maybe someone was sitting there with a tambourine and they just couldn't hold still anymore. And there was just a little rattle of the tambourine at this stage. Just maybe. And then he goes on. Because what you've got to understand about Christianity, it's more than something we do. It's a power we have. It's a position we hold. Ephesians chapter 3. As a young man growing up in church, we just got Ephesians rammed down our throat, and I thank God for it. I love Ephesians. I mean, I love all the Bible, but I love Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen just simply means let it be. I imagine because there was already two interruptions in the local church service. Someone else pops up and says, well, Mr. Preacher, um, I don't understand. You see, I've got a daughter that's 10. And in just a month, she turns 11. And my whole life I've been dreading this day because I know when she turns 11, a certain something has to happen. And I didn't dream it could be any different. I didn't dare imagine that there could be another way. Are you telling me, Mr. Preacher, that my little girl, when she turns 11, that she does not have to subject her body to prostitution? To this false God, are you telling me that she does not have to go through that? Are you telling me that there is a new and living way and we can walk in it? Because I never imagined that. I never dreamt that. I never even dare ask for that. And the preacher looks at this poor young lady He says, that's exactly what I'm saying. That because of our position in Christ, we can be set free from the tyranny of fear and doubt, suicidal tendencies, previous curses, whatever else has beset you prior to this day. Our God is a God who's able to do immeasurably more above and beyond all we ask, dream, hope, or even imagine. I imagine at that moment, no matter what this woman's personality trait is, was, I think she would have got just a little bit excited. I think she might have got just a little bit out of control. I imagine she might have begun to rant, to rave, to go into raptures and go overboard. Because that is the correct response to the Word of God. God not only redeems you, He redeems your whole you. That includes your personality. I believe most of us don't respond the way we should respond because we don't believe what we should believe. For us to truly believe this, we should 
rave. We should go into raptures. And we should just get a little bit excited. 36 times in six chapters of the book of Ephesians, you'll see Paul skillfully and masterfully penning these words. In God, in God, in God, in God, in God, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, in God, in Jesus, in Christ, in Jesus, in Christ, in God, in Jesus, in Christ, in Christ, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Christ, in Christ, in Jesus, in God, in Christ, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Christ, in Christ, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in God, in Jesus. 36 times in six chapters, he reminds us that we are no longer just in Ephesus, we are in Christ. That we have a new position, that we have a new power. Those words in Christ translate to entheo, means to be in God. It's where we get our word enthusiastic. To be enthusiastic is to be in Theo, in God. If we are truly in Christ, in God, in Jesus, we will be enthusiastic. And it has nothing to do with our personalities. People come here and think, oh, this, this church is too happy. <laughs> trouble, uh, trouble is this church is too clappy. Too happy, too clappy. Well, I'd rather a church that's happy and clappy than just miserable and faithless and boring. Seriously, some might just say, well, this church is full of hype. But entheo is not hype. The word hype simply means an empty reality. You tell me if what I've just read about Jesus is an empty reality. The truth is that we cannot even come close to describing just how amazing Jesus is. Whatever I say doesn't come close. However I praise him doesn't come close. The Bible says that our highest thoughts don't match his lowest thoughts. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived just how wide and high and deep is the love of God. This is not hype. Hype is an empty reality. This is based on substance. This is based on reality. And so some things you need to know about enthusiasm. This being true. Firstly, enthusiasm is not a feeling. It is a discipline. This notion that I don't feel like worshipping is to miss the point of worship. Worship is not about you. It's not about how you feel. It's about how good God is. And no matter how you feel, it doesn't change how good God is. So we should be able to worship God all the time. That's the trouble with our worship. It's too self-conscious instead of being God-conscious. John Wesley, who was a great reformer of the 1700s, he wrote 233 books. He preached 15, uh, sorry, 50,000 sermons. He raised up 11,000 preachers. And in his ministry time, one third of England was saved. 
And as an extract from his diary written in the 1700s, we read, Sunday, May 5th, I preached at St. Anne's. I was asked not to come back. (laughs) That night, I preached at St. John's. I definitely won't go back there. May 12, I preached at St. Judas. Not allowed to come back. May 19, I preached at St. Someone's and I can't return. That night, I preached on the street and I was kicked off. May 26, I preached in a field. A farmer set his bull on me. (laughs) June 2nd, I preached on the edge of town and was kicked off the highway. But that night, I preached in a field and 10,000 people gave their lives to Christ. I imagine with all the setbacks and all the knockbacks, John Wesley didn't feel like preaching, didn't feel like praising, didn't feel like worship, but it's not a feeling. It doesn't change who God is. And there was that one night where 10,000 people came to Christ. David knew this to be true. Psalm 42 verse 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God and I will yet praise you. You've got to talk to your soul. You've got to talk to yourself. People think it's the first sign of going mad. Mad? I don't think so. I think it's just what Christians should do. We've got to talk to ourselves. Why are you so miserable? What have you got to complain about? So David was saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine. You're probably thinking, who cares? But put this into your context. Though the baby will not sleep, though I've lost my job, though I'm being picked on at school by my friends, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Through Christ therefore let us continually offer to God, a sacrifice of praise. What makes it a sacrifice is that we don't always feel like doing it. And it's through Christ, not through your own efforts, not through your own energy, not through trying harder, but through Christ we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It's through Christ we offer our praise as a sacrifice to Him. And so my first point is simply... Enthusiasm is not a feeling, it's a discipline. Secondly, enthusiasm catches up with your face and your body. See, there's no such thing as happy on the inside, sad on the outside. Whatever's on the inside comes out. Some people tell me they're happy, I'm thinking, you should notify your face. (laughs) You're telling me, but you haven't told your face yet. See, there's nothing, there's nothing more embarrassing when someone says, I'm really happy. That, that's what, that, that, that is doing Christianity harm. When we say we found Jesus, he's the answer to everything. I'm so happy now. <laughs> that is going to scare whoever you're talking to. They're going to run to the pub and say, alcohol is the answer. <laughs> Enthusiasm. Catches up with your face and with your body. This is a message not just to sanguines, but it's a message to Christians. Paul didn't say to the sanguines in Ephesus. He said to the saints. Every believer in Christ. Yeah. 
You know, I've seen many people who just say, it's all right for you to go crazy down the front. That's all right for you. I'm just not that way inclined. And, and if that was true, that would be great. But I've seen these same people who aren't inclined to do that. Get a hold of something they really love. Like a little baby. I mean, I've seen some grandmas grab hold of some children in this church and do some crazy things. I've seen them rave, go into raptures and go overboard with some of these precious little babies. And this is the conclusion I come to. We love Jesus, but just not that much. And we love babies more. We love other things more. In Acts chapter 3, there's a story of a man that was crippled from birth. And he used to be placed at the gate beautiful to beg. And one day, Paul, sorry, Peter and John were coming by. And he expected to receive something from them. And Peter looks at this man and says, silver and gold we do not have. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He got more than he ever hoped, dreamed, asked for, or even imagined. He didn't ask to be healed. He asked for money. He asked for money. And he got something more. And the Bible says this is what he did. He went leaping and jumping and praising God. And where did he go? Straight to church. Can you imagine him getting into church, leaping and jumping and praising God, and someone saying, calm down, you're too happy, you're too clappy. <laughs> now, it's just a correct response to what Jesus has done in his life. It was a fitting response for a lame man. Here's the thing, you and I weren't lame. We were dead in our transgressions. And he has raised us up to new life. Should we do anything less than go running and leaping and jumping? Or are we just too cool for Jesus? And thirdly, my final point, is simply enthusiasm makes you do anything and you don't care. And here's the problem is we care too much because we're too self-conscious. And when we're self-conscious, it's always going to get in the way of being God-conscious. Seriously, when's the last time you raved, went into raptures, and went overboard in praise for Jesus? On a personal level. I'm not talking about being up here at the front. I'm not on a personal level. When's the last time in your excitement for the things God is doing, you were listening to your iPod and you were singing songs at the top of your voice and you were just walking oblivious to the rest of the world and you turned around the corner and you walked straight into somebody? That's happened to me over and over again. And it's happened to me more recently. I was that person. And you know what? When I walked into him, I didn't care. I said, morning, and just kept walking as fast as I could. 
I get on the treadmill every morning. And I want to tell you, what I do down the front here is not just something I save for Sunday. If you could watch me on any given morning, there will be times I'm either listening to a message or I'm, I'm singing along with the songs. And I'm, I'm, I'm the world's best worship leader on my treadmill. You, you better believe it. I mean, at least does not hold a candle to how good I am on my treadmill. Hands are up in the air. Yes, Jesus. When's the last time you personally raved, went into raptures, went overboard? I need some volunteers just quickly. Maybe if our musicians can come as well, that'd be great. But maybe Jared can come up here, and Riley can come up here, and Mick can come up here. Maybe Seth come up up here. Maybe if our wonderful, illustrious pulpit girl, young, single, good-looking pulpit girl can... Get rid of this, this would be great. How you doing? I need you four just to sit down. We're in a boat. You've got to imagine this, okay? We're in a boat. This is some of Jesus' disciples in the boat. We have Judas... Thomas, James, George. We picked him up. He was drowning. We just picked him up, put him on the boat. I'm Peter. In the middle of the night, the Bible tells us that the disciples were told by Jesus to go to the other side of the lake. He didn't tell them there was going to be a flipping storm. Jesus isn't always going to tell you the problems you're going to face. He's just going to tell you to go. And so he says, I want you to go to the other side of the lake. They look at the night, beautiful night, full moon, no problems. They get in. Then the perfect storm hits. I need you to rock around like there's a storm now, okay. And we're on this boat, just being rocked around. And in the distance, now you've got to understand, it was a dark and stormy night. Whenever, 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 keep going. It's, it's, don't, it's, it's, it's scared. What are you doing? It's not the Wiggle Show. George was obviously a former member of the Wiggles. <laughs> All right, we'll save your energy, save your energy. Just, I, can't, I can't compete with that. The Bible says this, that it was a dark and stormy night. That's a great opener for a ghost story, isn't it? All that's missing in this story is the ghost. It's a dark and stormy night. The disciples are on the boat. Enter our ghost. This figure in the distance. He's walking on water. He's walking on water. And what's more, it looks like Jesus. The disciples are in the boat, scared. <laughs> Hear no evil, see no evil. I just like. <laughs> I 
and, and, and Peter shouts out, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus, having the time of his life, running up the waves, surfing down them. Running up them, surfing down them. Peter, that, that looks like fun. I, I want me some of that. He goes, Jesus, if, that, if that's you, tell me to come. Now it was dark and stormy night. Communication poor. I imagine Jesus says, no, no, don't be stupid. Don't come, Peter. You'll sink. Don't come. <laughs> Peter, he has come. <laughs> don't come. He's young. He said, come, boys. Peter steps over the boat and starts taking some steps on water. He's thinking, wow, I'm the second person in the world to walk on water. I'm the Buzz Aldrin of water walking. (laughs) And then fear hits. He begins to sink. Jesus grabs his hand, helps him up. What do they do? They have a discussion. They're standing out there and Jesus is saying, Peter, why did you doubt me? I imagine Peter saying, well, I'm doing pretty good now. Well, they're standing on water having a discussion. And I think in the heart of Peter is this desire. I'd rather be with Jesus outside of my comfort zone than the boat with all these scaredy cats. And many preachers have preached that it was Peter's lack of faith that caused him to sink based upon some of the discussion that Jesus had with Peter. But I think, among other things, and I'm sure there was faith at work or a lack of faith at work there, But I think the thing that caused Peter to get out of the boat wasn't faith or lack of. I think the thing that caused him to get out of the boat was the very fact that he was enthusiastic. Because enthusiasm means to rave. To go into raptures. And to go overboard. His enthusiasm led him to the place where he went overboard, got out of his comfort zone. Yeah, he began to sink, but he also walked on water. In the heart of all the reformers throughout church history, throughout church history, all the men and women that have held their ground have this unquenchable enthusiasm for the things of God, where they don't care what they look like or what people think. Because they'd rather be on the water with Jesus than in the safety of everyone else who's scared and upset. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.